Welcome to Gimcrack Videos. How can I help you? Hi. Hello. Yeah, we're just uh, browsing for something a little different. Well, have you tried our Forgotten Classics section? Is that the one that's over there under the sign that says Blighted by God? Oh, found something. Have you seen this before? No, I've never even heard of it. Perfect. Wonderful. Enjoy your selection. <laughs> <laughs> you know we're still here, right? Welcome to Found on Shelf, the podcast where we tell you everything you never wanted to know about movies you'd wish you'd never seen. I'm the Reverend Patrick, and I'm here to lead you all in worship <laughs> at the altar of trash cinema today. With me, as always, is my co-host, Dustin. Hey, what's going on there, Patrick? Oh, Dustin, I'm having about the time of my life. How are you doing today? Uh, I am. I'm so excited to talk about this movie. Can, can you tell me, Dustin, do you like martial arts movies? <laughs> Usually. Do you like ninjas? <laughs> of course. Do you like New York? <laughs> the, have not been there, but I like what I see. Hey, two out of three ain't bad. I mean, we're right. dead, but New York Ninja <laughs> is alive and well, and that's the movie we're talking about today. Ah, yes. Fantastic movie. Uh, absolutely. So um, I have a couple things I'd like to say, but do uh, you have any first impressions of the experience of watching this movie before we get into the games we like to play and just kind of what we're talking about? It was almost pure joy from beginning to end, honestly. I, the unbridled glee. I, felt. Uh, I mean, I've I've watched it twice in probably five days. As as well, I just finished <laughs> watching it for the second time. Um, how I'd like to 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 really begin this is um, the film critic Pauline Kael in her essay "Trash Art and the Movies" once remarked famously, "Movies are so rarely great art that if we cannot appreciate great trash, we have very little reason to be interested in them." And my friends, this <laughs> is great trash. <laughs> yes, that is a I, great way to describe it. Without, without, I, I'll try to say it without hyperbole because I'm so prone to exaggeration. But this movie is a vision of the kind of unrestrained glory that few mortal efforts can aspire to. I laughed harder at this movie than I have in the past few comedy movies I've seen. All right. Well, what's your elevator pitch? 30 seconds to sell somebody on this movie. How would you sell them on New York Ninja? All right. It's a little bit of a spoiler, but I could sell it to somebody. I could sell it to anybody in just a couple of just a couple of words. Ninja on roller skates. <laughs> what more do That's you need? literally all you need. That's it. It's, it's perfect. So there's no beating around the bush or trying to talk about mm, the making of this movie without contextualizing it before we get into just talking about it in the whole. Yeah. New York Ninja, it's, it's a lost film that has been restored, but it also is a film that did not exist prior. So what happened is this movie started production in 1984. It had to close production before it finished uh, shooting, and all of the roles of film were kind of just stored away in the distributor uh, 21st century. Uh, when Vinegar Syndrome bought a lot of movies from this uh, distributor as they were going under, 
they also acquired this movie. Uh, it wasn't part of the catalog. They kind of just acquired it. Just some reels in the back corner of the office. They're like, hey, it was just, it was just on. A, it. It, they went to go pick up all the other movies, and this was just on a skid. It was just on a pallet, and and he, and uh, he's like, "What's this?" And the guy's like, "Oh, you don't have to take that one if you don't want to. We'll just we'll just throw it out." And and you can't say that to these people, right? Like, how could you ever destroy, be, willingly take part in the destruction of a film? It's like, no, 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 we'll take it. We'll take they're like, it. They're like, so, yeah, it's garbage. You're like, no, I will be the word on if it's garbage or not. And if it's garbage, we need to put it out even there. better. So they bring it back and they store it in their vault and they have to store it in their vault because it's it's unfinished and also and this is the tricky part all of the sound elements have been lost. So there's no sound reels. There's a dialogue, there's no sound. There's just all of the raw footage and no context for it. There was no script or anything they couldn't find? There was no script um, at the time. <laughs> what they eventually end up doing is they end up finishing this movie. It takes a couple of years. Curtis Spieler, he uh, he starts working at Vinegar Syndrome. Um, he's done some editing and directing on some short, short films, and he started working there in 2018. And on his first day, and he tells the story over and over again, if you, if you pick up this copy of this movie, and I'm not shilling for Vinegar Syndrome, I know I just keep picking their films, but you know, they curate exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> Right. And in this moment, this is this is true triumph. Curtis Spieler, he, he finds this movie exists on his first day, and he's like, "This is really cool. It'd be cool to restore it." But there's it, like it's, it's raw footage. It's an unfinished film. There's no sound design. So right. what do you do? With it? It's a huge <laughs> monumental task, right? But eventually, like after a year or so, he decides that he wants to do this as like a pro as his next creative project. And he he after he finishes, I believe the movie's called The Dead Girl in Apartment Twenty Three. Is the horror movie he finished prior to this so he's you know, he's doing these on the sides as he works for vinegar syndrome scanning films and editing and and, and restoration and whatnot he goes to the owners of the of the, uh, the company and he's like will you let me destroy this and they got really excited they're like all right let's let's take this project on so they scan the footage and they the first footage they see is just one of these really ridiculous fights and they're like okay no we have to do this <laughs> The th so they, they try to find a script and there is no script for them to find. Current, no one has a copy of the script, so they don't know what's going on in this movie. So they scan all of the footage. They use the slate. The slate would be like when you watch a movie and they, they have that little clicker. Mm -hmm. And uh, right at the beginning of the shots, and you'll see like act one, scene one, timestamp, timestamp, all that stuff. So that's all the information about where it goes in production. So they kind of knew the order that it was supposed to be shown. Theoretically. Okay. <laughs> so that's what they did. So they did that. They put it. They put it all in a row. And he's and Courage's words are. And when I did that, the movie made no sense. <laughs> like less sense than what you would see. I was gonna say as if it made sense now. Okay. Less sense. So he's. <laughs> so then they start talking. And they're like, well, well, the only way to really go forward with this is to basically just make your own movie. They wanted to to really be dedicated to what this film was supposed to be. They didn't want to do specifically. They name drop uh, "What's Up, Tiger Lily," which is when Woody Allen re redubbed a, um, a foreign language film completely uh, as a joke. So it's all everything's all jokey and comedy and hyped up uh, as much as a Woody Allen movie would be. Which is to say, I, I don't, I, I don't like it creatively outside of the fact that I don't like him as a person. So you know, <laughs> double whammy. They're like, well, we want to avoid that. We don't want to make this a joke. We want to try it because it, there's, it's ridiculous and over the top anyway. We want to kind of strike that balance of like they would have taken this film seriously, even though it's what it is. So we have to take it for what it is and try to walk that line of being over the top and not trying to, to lean in on a joke, which makes sense because these movies would n never work when people are trying to make a joke out of them. Yeah, it's not a it's not a, a farce. It's not a spoof of a movie. It's just not that serious. <laughs> exactly. 
So they had to, so they recontextualize how the scenes fit together and what the movie looks like. Then they have to do basically flap work, which is they're they're looking at the mouths moving and trying to come up with dialogue that works for that. And they write a script for that. Then they do ADV for, I mean, ADV, that's an anime publisher, ADR. They do um, uh, automatic dialogue replacement, even though there's nothing automatic about it. So they, they they cast the movie with all new people to voice over this dialogue and they create all of the sound design. So um, it's a company called Three Beep does all the sound for them. Wow. Their sound design and most of the dubbing. They got everything leading up to all of, a lot of the editing and restoration process done before 2020, but they were just getting ready to record in 2020. Mm. Well, what happened? You know, it's just a small thing, right? Just a, a little <laughs> little thing to derail everyone's plans um, for three years and counting. Uh, so all of the dialogue was recorded remotely. <laughs> and after after all of this was done, like towards the end of the process, they did find one copy of the script. Oh, wow. It was, uh, I forget where Curtis said it came from. One of the, one someone on set. And it, it is, as far as he knows, the only surviving copy with, uh, with notes in Chinese on it either, but either it would have been from the cinematographer or John Liu himself. And we'll get to John Liu in a minute. I can't wait. And he's like, well, they didn't get to finish shooting most of it. And also what they did shoot, John Liu kind of went rogue from and didn't actually shoot what was on the page. So there would have been no way to make the movie that the script wrote was about anyway. So they have created a new film out of the film that was there. Um, they cast it with extremely known B-movie people, like the genre of film uh, people and adult film people to be the voices of these people. Like uh, Linnea Quigley is going to voice your main uh, female protagonist. You might know her as Trash from Return of the Living Dead. All right. If you don't know the characters' names in Return of the Living Dead, you are probably a normal person. She's the woman that dances nude in the graveyard right before the zombie attack. <laughs> All right. And if you haven't seen Return of the Living Dead, please, please do. I promise. After, after you watch New York Ninja. I, after well, New York Ninja is life changing. Yeah. You got to watch that first. <laughs> pause, pause the podcast, go watch this movie and then pick it up again after. So that's where we're at. In terms of film restoration, there's never really been anything like this before. It's brand new. It's like, well, let, let's let's save this movie. But then we had to kind of forge a new movie out of it to save it with respect to what it is. So and a lot of a lot of the stuff is playing in the exact order. The the roller the roller skate scene plays <laughs> the ninja on roller skates. He skates. He flips over a car without <laughs> skates and then lands back on skates. And that was all. Shoes. Yeah. All of that was in was already shot in sequence. Curtis said I could have taken it out. I probably would have played better, but that's not how the movie would have been originally intended. And I, I felt like it was really important to stay true to what was going on. So he's doing the Lord's work. It really is. Like as crazy as this movie is, he tried to stay true to what was on the page and what was on the the um the actual celluloid. What was going to be made right and there's there's more to story we can get we can kind of circle back to it but it really needs you to have the context going in that this movie is a labor of love to save something that would have been lost otherwise in the truest way they could have and they went above and beyond to do that but it is also new art so it's it's kind of a weird hybrid thing that we're watching so yeah anything to add to that before we kind of start doing a play-by-play no, I do have the trailer uh, audio if you'd like me to hit that as well so everybody can get excited about what they're in for. Yeah, let's do that. All righty, here we go. Abductions of young women are still being reported. Another woman with mysterious radiation burns has been discovered. We're going to have a baby. Oh, my God. 
I can't believe that John's wife was murdered. You have to try and pull yourself together. This city owes me. Well, what's that? Justice. Why won't anyone do anything? We are strong on crime, and together we have the power. This is a big city. We're doing what we can. Tell the others I'm coming for them. I need you to help me. I would. But I want them dead. Crime has remained at an all-time low thanks to Ninja Fever. We're going live with this. These men murdered her because of what she saw. <laughs> it's linked to these abductions. There's something weighing us down. It's that damn ninja. <laughs> New York ninja's a real hero. They did such a good job with the music too and making it sound like it didn't sound like new music trying to sound old. It sounded like music in an eighties film. Yeah. This is uh, the, the, the band was Voyager three. Um, they do a lot of this kind of synth wave stuff. There's a lot of bands out there trying to do this kind of sound, but they were selected specifically because of how well they did it. And the overall vibe was like, okay, you're in 19, in the eighties, you're making a soundtrack in the 80s for a movie that's new what would that sound like and they really delivered on that oh man they knocked it out it was great so uh before we start there is a couple things i want to take off one um there will be spoilers for this movie but that i promise you that does not matter you still want to watch it we're gonna i mean we could probably talk about this movie for three four hours (laughs) we'll try not to but we We tend to we tend to spoil every movie without giving you that warning um but on the top but i think you know what you're in for most of the time this one i really do recommend you watch but it does not matter uh that it spoils it because most of these movies don't you're here to kind of experience things right the second thing is uh I'm going to mention it as it's not as explicit as like land of doom, but just a quick content warning off the top, a major through line for this movie is about human trafficking. And there's quite a few attempted sexual assaults in the film. Yeah. Um, again, it, it's not explicit, but we will be talking about that. If that is something that makes you uncomfortable, um, you may want to skip, uh, without out the way, let's talk about how this movie starts. Oh God. And so you just start with the text. Now was the, was the text made up as well for this in the opening? Do you know? You know, I uh, I did not see any information on whether that intro was new or um, or if it was current. But I don't think that would have been part of like what was filmed because most of that stuff is done in post. So I tend to think that that was created after the fact, but I can't confirm. All right. Because it kind of fits and kind of also seems a little bit out of place. But I wrote it down just because I had to remember it. Uh, so it's it just says New York City, 1984. Crime is at an all-time high. Gangs of drugged-out punks roam the street, preying on the innocent. A rash of kidnappings involving young women has gripped the city with fear. The citizens of New York are fed up. The city needs hope. The city needs a hero. And that's how we start. And then it goes into some amazing music. Yeah, and then we kind of get the opening scene, which is in the daylight, I think. We kind of cut from there to our hero talking with his wife and talking with his wife. And if you're familiar with refrigerators, you're going to know how this is going to go because uh, <laughs> his wife is telling him that she is pregnant. Uh, his wife is being voiced by Ginger Lynn, who is an adult film star. 
<laughs> right? You can't you can't go too hard on it because at this point they're like kind of like trying to to figure out what the dialogue is because she's like walks away and then comes back. She's like, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it's very awkward. She's like, uh, I have a surprise, but I'll tell you later. And then she walks away and he goes, I love you. Uh, I can't wait to tell you. I got to tell you right now. I, but I could just picture these guys trying to rewrite this and going like, God, what do we what do we have them say? And just like trying to read their lips, trying to make it work. There's a lot of actual work that went into this movie. And sometimes the lips were dead on. I mean, they were dead on. So uh, I think overall they did a pretty good job with it. <laughs> okay. So here's the problem with talking about this movie because the subject matter is really dark, right? She stumbles on them, abduct this group of, of, of gang members abducting a woman in, in broad daylight. The problem is <laughs> the the guy calling the shots is dressed like an extra on Newsies. He's got like, but it's like a sheepskin hat or something. I don't know. He, he, he is <laughs> clearly, matching jacket. He is clearly out of place. He looks like he bounced off of a musical. And <laughs> and then she and she sees them abduct this person, and then she's like, "Hey, oh, oh but wait, that guy, purse. that guy wasn't alone. He was with the the guy that was just dressed like a businessman, and yeah. then the guy dressed like a cowboy." Yeah. So the <laughs> the gang members in this movie are dressed extremely eclectically, in that they seem like they're all cosplaying different things poorly <laughs> at the same so time. Good. <laughs> There, there are moments when they are all wearing uh, like jock straps outside of their jeans. <laughs> no, I guess they're they're athletic cups outside of their jeans, and an attempt to convey the droogs from Clockwork Orange. Um, <sighs> there is some attempt at making their hoodies look like a <laughs> like a like a like Knights of Templar. <laughs> yeah, there is. Uh, there are cowboys. There are people with masks. There are there's a guy just walking around in a kendo outfit at one point. So <laughs> there's a black guy in white face that walks around. Yeah, it's it's um, there's a lot going on with <laughs> the gang members in this film. Uh like they're they're dressed for the purge before the purge was the thing. Right. The businessman, the sheepskin hat dude, and the cowboy are and oh, and there's a dude dressed all in leather. So these four guys <laughs> are, They're they're abducting this woman. And the wife sees it, sees she dropped her purse, looks up at the people abducting her and goes, hey, you forgot your purse, and then registers that that they're being abducted. And, <laughs> I don't know how she didn't pick that up right away. Yeah, and that's 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 the problem with that movie, right? Because there's some stuff in here that is going to make you uncomfortable, but it's so ridiculous. You kind of, you're just along for the ride. It doesn't feel anything like Land of Doom, Yeah, for, for instance. But she takes off running and you know they track they, they catch up to her and they like kill her with a throwing knife well yeah the first they slit her throat and then yeah, kicked true. her down the stairs and, and then, then he does this weird little dance move smooth mm -hmm. criminal looking michael jackson it, thing it was yeah and annie was not okay <laughs> yeah annie got a knife in her belly and then then opening credits and then it was a three minute cold open it was great well, yeah, but it was better than the 15 minute cope and a deadly eyes. <laughs> so, so that's the kind of movie you're in for. And it just really jumps into it. Right. Yeah. We get these bizarre and you, this is where I could kind of tell that they, they chopped the footage up in multiple spots. Cause, um, the next scene you had the news reporters talking to each other, but like their boss shows up in a helicopter. <laughs> Yeah, so that that that's all one take too. They, he he said one of the Curtis said one of the challenges of this film is a lot of this was not shot with any coverage, 
So mm. he just had the takes that were there. This was all one take. So he's like, well, I just had to let it play top to bottom in the one, in the one angle. Yeah. Which and is, and, and figure it, out what it's going to happen. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he like, he lands and, uh, the, uh, the news reporter lady named, I think Randy and Randy Rydell, I think. Yeah. And Jack, who was the cameraman. I think it was Jack. Um, yeah. Jack and Randy Rydell. Yes. They're like talking to their boss and they're like, Oh, we heard about what happened to John's wife. We've, Let's let's go to his house. Let's go find him. And then they hop in the helicopter to go find him. Yeah. <laughs> they land in what is one of the best scenes of the entire film. <laughs> and if you're not sold at this point, this film this moment is either going to sell you or tell you that you're really not the audience for this movie. Because it is made with a specific audience in mind. It is made specific like if you liked Miami Connection, this is the kind of movie for you, right? He's sitting at a table on a roof. <laughs> where they were going to assume have a party of some kind to celebrate her pregnancy. He's being distraught. Do you have this sound clip? It's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair. Why? 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 Ah! <laughs> so... Of course. What I comes out that 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 amazing audio performance is given to us by Don the Dragon Wilson. Uh, did a lot of um, action, like low budget action movies in the '90s, like Ring of Fire. What he's doing in that scene? Do you want to? Do you want to illustrate what he's doing to go along with that audio? He's like, he's he's smashing all the everything. He's smashing the the cakes. He's smashing the tables. He's just breaking everything and just yelling at the sky. And at one point, he like smashes a picture frame and then picks up the pieces of broken glass and just squeezes them in his hands. Yeah. So two <laughs> things like when he does the why he like drop kicks the table in half <laughs> at the same exact moment. Why? Why? <laughs> it's my favorite thing. He's like really digging that glass into his hands. Like, <laughs> then the then the, the reporter is just like, oh, "Hi, John. I know you're going through a lot." She like shows up at this exact moment, kind of thing. Like it's it's okay. It's going to be fine. And then he it's, opens the the card. I'm assuming from his wife and the present that she got for him, which was ninja swords. <laughs> which was ninja swords. It's it's the best origin story. Just <laughs> drop kick a table in half. And open up the package of samurai and go for it. Which was a strange, a strange gift to present um, your husband by telling him he's going to be a father. Here are some swords, <laughs> but that is what we have to work with. Yeah, and then that was pretty much into that scene. <laughs> well, you know, the the movie it winds around. You know, the like it, it gives you a little bit of this, it gives you a little bit of that. It, it it's going to introduce your bad guys, your bad guys. That, you, I have you a see, hard time not laughing through this whole thing, just thinking about it. Okay, so <laughs> there's a couple different bad guys. They don't really mesh well together, but the overall idea is there's a lot of there's a rash of abductions uh, as part of a human trafficking operation mo uh, perpetuated by this by this group of gangs that seem disparate but also working together. Yeah, I th that that kind of came and went, and yeah. 
Um, there's and one main bad guy. There's one main bad guy. He <laughs> is called the Plutonium Killer, and he may or may not be controlling the human trafficking operation. It's a little unclear <laughs> because sometimes he seems like he's the boss and sometimes he seems like he is a client. One of the two things is true or both. <laughs> and then also he additionally has a chauffeur slash butler henchman with a rat tail. This guy looks like a cross between Elijah Wood and Daniel Radcliffe. Whomst uh, Curtis refer to only as Rat Tail. <laughs> All right, I called him Elijah Radcliffe throughout the whole thing. So, mm-hmm. and he likes to put his little rat tail in his mouth. Yeah, he like he'll bring the, the rat tail around from the back of his head, put it in between his teeth, <laughs> and just like bite it down on it, as if it were like Padawan a rose brain. while he's doing a tango. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, he has like a this weird like rod thing, the cane. Like it's a, like a cane, but it's like. It's like super thin and he uses it to beat people up. So it's, and then I think it's a sword at the end of the movie. It, yeah, I think it turns into two swords at the end of the movie. <laughs> anyway, so the, 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 we'll the, base, the basic setup is Rat Tail is driving around the plutonium killer who may or may not be running the human trafficking operation. I am unclear. Yeah, because a, a mystery guy in a another limousine kind of private car uh, pulls up next to him and hands him papers and tells plutonium guy to go find these girls that he wants yeah now the plutonium killer is being voiced by um uh, michael berryman i don't know if you've seen the hills have eyes which version i've seen oh, the, i've seen the original one. uh i think i might have thought no i think i saw one of the remakes well michael berryman would be the guy on the poster the um the bald okay. dude like that guy is awesome he's in a ton of stuff you know he's in he's in one flew over the cuckoo's nest he's in weird science he's in the hills have eyes yeah, movies. yeah. Like any number of horror films, like most people probably know him if they've seen him. He's the one voicing the Plutonium Killer for this release. That's 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 great. Oh, and also the Plutonium Killer guy has a uh, a little pocketbook wallet looking thingy that's filled with poison darts of some sort that he puts into this little pin ne- mechanism and shoots across the room at people with shocking accuracy. Shocking. And uh, uh, yeah, managed and, to yeah. hit a fly that was flying around. He also was walking around with his like steampunk glasses, the ones with like the horse blinders on the side. <laughs> yeah, I just started calling him Sunglass Dude at first until I found out he was a plutonium killer later on. Right, when the plutonium comes out. Right. <laughs> we'll get to that scene. There's like a lot of great shots of like New York <laughs> through all this too. Our next scene really bugs me uh, a bit. So is that? this oh. is when, when John's placing the flowers down in the spot where his wife died. So about this scene, it's actually out of sequence. <laughs> okay. It originally came much later in the film, but they moved what? it up. They moved it up because, <laughs> because Curtis is like, well, if we, this kid is going to be in the movie, we need to introduce him fairly early, which is good instincts. Because if you were making a movie, you would and should do that in yeah. terms of how it plays out. It's weird. It's very weird because like he's he's making like a, a little memorial to his wife in the spot. She died at the entrance of the subway. And um, this this gang comes around beating this kid up because he owes them money for drugs. Yes, something. He just owes them money. He just owes them money for something. Who knows? They, they pin him to the wall. They threaten him. They they rough him up a little. And they're like, you better have my money. And John Liu doesn't do anything about it. Not a damn thing. <laughs> Let, let, let's 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 clarify something. John Liu is the name of the actor playing uh, the character in this film, whose name is also John. His name is well, they they named him John Liu in the dub as kind of like a tribute because John played like in the American release of John Liu movies, they mostly just made him a character named John. 
So this mm. is kind of a reference to that. Oh, nice. Um, he was in several martial arts movies. He never, he wasn't like, like, like a meteoric star, but he was in Secret Rivals and Invisible Armor. Invincible Armor. Invis- was the choreography a little bit better in those movies? Yes, because okay, he was good. a couple reasons. Like he was, there were they were trained. You know, like there are other people doing the choreography. Also, the people he was working with were also trained martial artists. So <laughs> that helps. It's clear that he is a trained martial artist, and no one else is. <laughs> So yeah. that kind of shows up in all of the fight scenes. It's not a really a good reflection on him as a fighter. Um, so that might be disappointing to some people. This is his last movie. So, uh-huh. uh, and it was never released. Um, he's still around. Uh, he just, he left filmmaking after this. So yeah, he, he does. And I thought, I thought that maybe he was going to get like magical ninja powers from something later on <laughs> in the movie, no? but no, he's just kind of being a coward. And it, <laughs> the whole thing with him, being like, you know, why, why? And I'm like, and then he doesn't do anything about it. I'm like, dude, maybe you should do something. You're a damn ninja. We have a couple of extra really cool things about that. It's like, he's, he's, he's starting to see like the narrative they're trying to tell us at this point. is like, well, now I'm starting to see how messed up this city is. And right. it's, it's, it's all of this crime and stuff. So it's getting to him and it's going to be on his journey to convince him to become the ninja. Right. So he gives this and then he goes and talks to the cop. He's supposed to be investigating the case, but the cops' hands are tied because he's got he doesn't have people or time. Oh, wait, or you missed a big fight it. scene. That, there's when he finally got to that fight scene because he he dumped his wife at his wife's uh just jumped dumped all her shit overboard. He's on some passenger oh, ferry boat and dumped all his yeah, shit, except yes. for that little uh, urn that he's holding, which which then he walks back and then. Um, we gonna. This is our first shot of the next group of gangsters. He bites the cufflink <laughs> for no reason. That's that's a choice that the actor made. While the actor and director, because he's directing this movie, made in real time to dump all of her stuff <laughs> as part of like the memorial. This is like, the, by the way, the third memorial he's given this woman in, this, in about five minutes, and then. Just like chomps down on the on the cufflink as if you were like an old timey cartoon trying to proof a coin by biting into it. Like, oh, it's not chocolate. It's very strange. Oh god! Even stranger is the uh, he gets off the boat. Uh, there's this gangs are, are, are like beating people up. And they're like, well, let's steal this guy's urn. He's like, I'm not. You're not gonna get my urn. And then there's a fight scene. Okay, but the, now these guys that they fight, I wrote down exactly what they look like just for the listening audience that has never watched this. Um, you have a guy that uh, looks kind of like a wannabe Rambo. You have a guy in blue jeans with masking tape wrapped around one of his legs mm-hmm. and nunchucks over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. You have a guy who looks like he's doing an, uh, an old WWF Iron Sheik impersonation. Mm-hmm. You've got a guy that looks like he's storing, I mean, something in his upper lip or his cheeks, like he's a, got mm-hmm. nuts up there or something. Um, and then there's the guy with the, uh, with the blue hoodie with electrical tape that makes him look like uh, some Knights of Templar. So that was that's this is our group of bad guys that he happens to walk upon. Mm-hmm. And then we have the fight sequence. This fight sequence, by the way, was the first footage they saw that convinced them to make this movie oh. <laughs> or to restore this film. It was one of the worst choreographed fight scenes I've ever watched in a movie. It was something else. I think that was the scene that was like, yes, this is the greatest movie I've ever watched in my life. So he has this fight sequence. He saw what's happened to the kid and then he goes and talks to the cop. But the cop is like, clearly can't do anything because they're not staffed and you know his hands are tied we can't really help you actually solve your wife's murder but sorry about that yeah and then john just uh 
Just go home and I'll call you with anything. Wait. What? This city owes me. Well, what's that? Justice. <laughs> like the most Batman line ever. <laughs> right? Justice. Who's all coming? Just us. Which goes to another sound clip that I had to pull. I just I just want to set this up. The visual component of the soundbite he's about to play, because it's the one I'm thinking of. Um, John is walking back and forth between two beams. And in his anger, he is throwing himself against the two beams harder <laughs> and harder as he paces. Just like just full body throwing himself in, in, at the end. And then he ends the whole thing by frustratedly doing a split jump kick and freeze frame. <laughs> yes. Freeze frame fade to black. That's well, this visual sequence. <laughs> Here Please we give us the audio component. Why? Why is this happening? Why won't anyone do anything? I don't understand. Why? Uh, why? Why? Hi, Art. I love how he's screaming, why doesn't anyone do anything after he just lets some kid get jacked on the street? <laughs> like, why aren't you doing something, dude? Part of the problem, dude. So after that weird uh, freeze jump, we show up back at his house where he's messing around with the swords. And then he's cutting himself again. <laughs> he just cuts himself. He just... He's he unsheathes the sword. He unsheathes the sword into his open palm, and then just grabs the palm, grabs the sword for all it's worth, and then slowly t- continues to unsheathe the sword. I don't. I mean, first the glass, and now this. I just that was an interesting choice for uh, the. For a martial artist, he doesn't really seem that concerned with having functional hands. Nah, it doesn't doesn't need him. <laughs> well, no, because he's doing taekwondo, so it's mostly kicking. Oh, it's, he does some. He does a lot of kicking. Uh, <laughs> And then we 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 flash to another gang, and this this is where the gangs get really weird because they all kind of look the same, but they're slightly different. And it gets confusing because there's some gangs that are kind of opposing each other, some gangs that are working together, and it seems to just kind of. And this wasn't like a vinegar syndrome thing. This was you could tell in the movie. Sometimes they were fighting with each other, and then other times they were just like working with each other. Yeah, I think that <laughs> it's this very was a, hard to keep track of. I think this was an issue that happened probably during production, right? So either I don't know if it's a scripting issue or if it's I'm shooting outside of the script, and now I have created a problem by which narratively I can no longer resolve it, and that is I don't know who the bad guys are anymore. Yeah, I think you just just go with it and just do whatever like they did. They were like, ah, just throw them all out there. They're all a bunch of assholes. No, is this the alley scene that's next? Is that what we're talking about? Um, Well, yeah. Well, first we have uh, we have John as any any good movie based in the 80s would be practicing his martial arts moves in front of uh, the backdrop of New York City for a while. So uh, this was this this scene was in the the footage, but it was not slated. Oh, okay. So, so they don't know where this was supposed to go. They're not sure if it was like a demo reel or if it was for like an opening t- credit sequence that was never shot. So That's they just, just shoved a good it. B roll. You can yeah. shove that in there anywhere. Uh, yeah. So they it's exactly what they did. They used it as a montage, as a segue, and then then and then we're going into the alley scene, right? Yes, where a woman is getting, uh, she's getting assaulted by mm-hmm. like eight different dudes in different outfits, mm-hmm. including three guys that had the uh, the the jock straps on the outside. <laughs> um, it was, you know, I, somewhere around this time while we were watching it, my partner turned to me and she said, uh, "Somehow, I don't think this movie is going to pass the Bechdel test." <laughs> so, and then, you know, we had a, um, 
couple guys had fake mustaches. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple guys were wearing pantyhose. Some of them were wearing those weird kind of clear-ish see-through masks. Mm-hmm. Um, and they pretty much all had baseball bats. Yeah. And then we get another fight sequence, and like I don't want to like like give the give these like like play by plays like that because it's 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 going to get bogged down and it'd probably oh. be boring to listen to, but like it's a great sequence. There are powdered eggs. I didn't understand that, but he he uses them frequently. There they, they they look like eggs that he has in his hands, and he throws them, and it's powder, and the powder gets on people, and they go ah, and then they're unable to do anything, and I have no idea what this is supposed to be and sometimes it doesn't get on anyone and, and people sometimes? still scream mm-hmm. well the a lot of the sequences there the, and some of these sequences that he is just throwing them at people that and it got left on the cutting room floor because <laughs> it was shot so poorly that it, it and and also it didn't connect with anyone so so they're trying to edit around they're trying to edit around bad filmmaking essentially right and to an extent they are they're successful because oh, it does much. read as a coherent film as, as a matter of fact, it reads as a much better film than Beyond Dream Store. <laughs> and this is this is where we get our ninja on roller skate scene, which was just just amazing because he is not a very good roller skater. <laughs> How could you not love that? Ninja on roller skates. And they're not in lines. He's not a cool ninja. No. He is on roller skates. He could be at a roller disco tonight with these skates. It is fantastic. So he just comes roller skating through out of nowhere. There's no there's no reason for him to be on roller skates. He just is. <laughs> and they have roller skate fight sequences. And at one point he has to jump over. Um, is it a person or a car? But he does a complete like backflip. He jumps over a car. He jumps over a car. Um, during that, the sequence immediately before the jump, he has roller skates. The sequence immediately after the jump, he has roller skates. <laughs> For the jump, he does not have roller skates. This is a sequence we alluded to earlier. And it's just, it's such a perfect example of this kind of filmmaking. It's great. And we get lots of great charts to do in our, this whole thing, too, because, like, I think after this, we get, like, some nightscapes after this. Yeah. The, the next thing is we're going to go to see the plutonium killer. So. Uh... Yeah, I think I think that's yeah. yeah that's and, where we're at. And so, oh, like, like, like during the right before the roller skate scene, you can see cats playing at the Winter Garden, and then <laughs> I and, like that. And you know, it gets better because, like, like when, when we actually go see Times Square at night, they they, they like walk by La Caja Full in its original run, and nice. then even better, they they go through they they pass several movie theaters, and one of them they are playing. Guys, they are playing Ninja Three, Three. <laughs> the Domination, which is the third film in that series, and it dominates totally. It's great. It is terrible. It is a terrible movie, and it is amazing that it is playing in this in this film. Very fitting. Very fitting. So, the Plutonium Killer. Do you want to uh, take a crack at trying to describe this? Uh, actually, my partner, my partner had one other thing to say about this movie, and it's about the Plutonium Killer. Uh, she says. The radioactive horny man was very uncomfortable. <laughs> That's a very accurate way of putting it. Because, yeah, he, um, it, you know, he's wearing his little steampunk sunglasses at first, and he opens this container that says delicate unit handle with care. And he goes and opens it, takes his glasses off, and there's this glowing green light all around him. Um, and I could imagine that the guys that were trying to like make this movie, the vinegar syndrome folks were like, um, what do we do with this? Cause he just looks like he just has an orgasm. He's just yeah, like, he, oh. he is literally <laughs> having an orgasm while he is exposing himself to radiation 
to the point where he is burning and bleeding yes. and like and parts of his body are dissolving yeah by the way <laughs> on the second uh the second disc from the release of this film the special uh, features disc the dvd menu is just this scene <laughs> and michael berryman had to make orgasm sounds for this scene like there's a lot of deliberate effort in the radioactive horny man scene. Oh. The, the plutonium killer is a freak and it makes no sense. Weakest point of the film in, in, its, in any attempt to make sense, right? Like, right, because then you're I, like, oh, is this where it's going? No, that's not. <laughs> it's not going to a weird supernatural mode at all. It's just... Yeah. Well, you have to, to think that the plutonium killer was one of the linchpins that makes this movie not make sense. It has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a. I'm sure that was rough for them to try to figure out what <laughs> what it was supposed to be. Yeah, the story they come up with is that he's a CIA operative that was exposed to some sort of mutation, right, in the field, and then became a serial killer slash sex trafficker with a butler, <laughs> Elijah Radcliffe with with, the, a, rat with tail. a rat tail, and then so and then he puts uh, the candle out with his hand that has skin falling off of it, which was just and like a, stigmata at this point. <laughs> like okay it's, then, that's a fantastic sequence but holy fucking shit <laughs> and, um, then, and then i mean i really i really hate to go like complete scene by scene with this but god <laughs> this movie's just amazing um because uh, the next scene this is a part that i'm wondering again if they had some weird drive with this in direction it's two ladies walking to the car now there's been this news of women being abducted all over the place on the cover of every newspaper. Everyone's talking about it. So these two ladies walk up to their car that has their doors, not only unlocked, but windows completely rolled down. And then there's a gentleman dressed in a cowboy hat, sitting on top of a dumpster, air drumming white gentleman in chain mail and an Adidas jacket is walking around with a giant stick. And these ladies just go, yeah, I'll hop in my car. <laughs> is that the is that the Kendo Affit guy? Because the face mask. Yeah, the, the, I think he was in the back seat of the car waiting for them. Because of course, there's a back seat in the car, <laughs> and that's where the first point where uh, where Randy and Jack come back into play. The news reporter people because they see this happening and they they start chasing him around with their camera. And John is here, but John like right before this happens, he's like, "I gotta go get us breakfast," as if yeah. he knows an assault is coming. <laughs> And then he appears as, as soon as it's over. Yeah. Not out of breath, nothing. Just like, okay. It's like, oh, <laughs> geez, I missed the violence. And that was the weird fight scene where he had his foot just in the air for a long time. Yeah, you could tell that was like, I have to show off my Taekwondo <laughs> skills. Because like, he went through hell to be able to do this because he was not fl very flexible. And he trained with a really well-respected master. And this guy just put him through absolute... Uh, the vinegar syndrome making of describes it as crotch torture for two years to be able to <laughs> to, to to do these kinds of high kicks that are required for taekwondo. So I, I, when you when you've sacrificed that much, you really do have to like commit to showing it off. <laughs> Not very convincingly, but he did hold his foot up in the air for quite a long time. And really, can we talk about how bad this ninja outfit is? <laughs> Cause it's not, cause like it's supposed to be like a white ninja outfit, but it's clearly, but it look, it looks like it's been like it was a white outfit for like. 10 years ago but now it's been bleached and faded and just like like old bed linens at this point it's just kind of like a like a that's, off that's why they look like old dirty rags which would be cool if you were darren aronofsky making the new york ninja <laughs> but that's not what this is going for do you do you 
do you know the story of Aronofsky trying to make Frank Miller's year one before Batman Begins happened? I do not. In his version, at one point, Batman is just some angry guy running around on the subway with a bat and a hockey mask beating the fuck out of people. All right. So, uh, so yeah, we got the weird foot fighting thing. Um, the, the cameraman filming. And then uh, there's that weird sex dungeon that we cut to where it's got all these women just kind of. It looks like a dancing video. Tied up. Yeah, it's very bizarre again. And we've got more thugs in weird costumes. I think they just like, they just found things of, like in people's garages and closets that were like, oh, bring that in. We'll just make a costume out of it. <laughs> the one guy's like, oh, I got some blue hoodie. Cool. Get some electrical tape. We're going to make you a knight. I don't <laughs> it's like LARP, but I can't figure out what they're LARPing. <laughs> oh, they're shit. LARPing a movie. It's so bizarre. The, the, the costume design is and so he, bizarre. You can tell there probably wasn't a single permit that this movie had to film anywhere. Oh, no. <laughs> no, this stuff, no, because that's one of the things to point out. Like, like they're just shooting on the street. And, and like you can tell because all of the all of the people in the background of the ninja on roller skate scenes are looking around like, holy fuck, there's a ninja on roller skates. <laughs> what the fuck's that happen? What, what are they doing here? So like, all of this is just being shot. And there's a one scene where he's walking with the detective guy and the car almost hits him just because they're driving down the street. I'm like, that was, they almost really got hit. Oh, and this is where we, we, we officially get what his name is because he, uh, he throws a ninja star at these, uh, it's branded. <laughs> he's got branded shuriken. He's got throwing stars that he's lobbing at people that say New York ninja on New York ninja. So somehow this guy managed to get time out of his day. To not only buy ninja stars in New York, but to get them custom printed. It's the most American thing possible. I am coming out with my own branding and we will be selling merch and t-shirts before the end of this film. As a matter of fact, this t-shirt is one that I'm about to order anyway. But they do sell t-shirts in this film. It's just, they're walking around with shirts that say, I heart New York ninja. And it's it's a fun joke. But also... If you pair it with the fact that he's branded these throwing stars, it's almost like he's just set, like he's setting up his own brand. It's great. <laughs> and then like right after this, like the scene was done, the news reporter boss pulls up and he's already got an I love New York ninja shirt made after he gets the ninja star from his nearly dead. <laughs> I'm like, did, how did you go out of your way to get a, a shirt already? I loved it. It well, you, Look, you got to know where the money is. The t-shirt game is where all of the sweet profits are. <laughs> yeah, then he's got the weird fight. And this is where it's just really bad choreography because like, um, like the ninja grabs a gun that I guess he knocked out of someone's hand and points at somebody. And then somebody else has a gun. They point it right at him and they like lead him off with pointing guns at him. For all these people wanting the New York ninja dead so badly, there's a lot of guns being pointed at him. Well, the, my favorite <laughs> he only part gets of that, shot once. My favorite part of that fight is they're fighting, and the New York Ninja pulls out a gun. Yes, that, did he? Did he pick that up off the ground, or did he just have that? I, I couldn't tell. I assume he probably picked it off the ground, but my but I I like my head cannon better that he just had a gun he was just willing to use. That's what that's what I thought too because like, like, you don't see him pick it up; he just kind of pulls it out. And like here you go. The the this, the ancient art of the gun punch. That, that was a weird fight scene. There was all over the place and. That's the scene where he kicks the guy in the crotch who's wearing, who's wearing the, the external cup. And uh, the guy just laughs at him for kicking the cup. 
And yeah, we go back to the, we go back to, uh, oh, this, this kind of running theme of the sunglass dude or the, uh, uh, plutonium killer picking up newspapers and looking at the cover and either laughing or like being upset about it, which was very weird. But he picked up the one that said something about the New York ninja on the cover and he's like, <laughs> walked away. And then the movie takes a really strange turn for a little bit. <laughs> When the kid from earlier is getting beat up again. Yep. <laughs> the ninja starts doing backflips for some odd reason and then gets shot. Yep. <laughs> um, the kid sees him getting shot and he goes and like runs to kind of help him. And then the kid gets shot. And uh, for a minute, for a minute, <laughs> I thought this movie had the guts to do that. But then um, he's, I, I, I assume the implication is this is a street urchin like kind of character. Like this kid is just, you know, he's just, he's unhoused. He's on the street. He's got no family. He's an orphan. Yeah, he's probably I running th- drugs or something. Is yeah. Money. So, so, so at this point, the New York Ninja takes the role of a surrogate father by taking the bullet out of himself and well, the kid. But how they do it, they basically cut to a shot where it's him sitting there shirtless with this young boy, also shirtless, basically laying on his lap. Yeah. <laughs> You're just going to gleam over that part? That was yeah, a was. very weird cut. It was a weird cut. Fade several weeks, several weeks later. <laughs> several weeks later, which, you know, that had to be a Curtis's decision. And God bless him. That's an amazing decision to just do that. <laughs> because and then, the next scene, they you could tell him and the boy got a little friendly. Well, yeah, they're 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 fishing, and um, he is he's like in a red speedo with like two spears, and he's out there trying to catch a fish by stabbing it while the boy is fishing. That is, the speedo he's wearing though is yeah. like three sizes too small. Mm-hmm. Well, I, that's not, I, I, as is as is the golden rule for shopping for speedos. Several weeks later, it goes by, and he's fishing in the water with nothing but the tiniest speedo you've ever seen. Meanwhile, the boy's just sitting on the thing, fully dressed, having you know he's actually fishing, time, <laughs> having the time of his life. The ninja is in these little speedos where you can see everything, teabagging the water as he sticks these spikes on there and tries to catch fish manually. Yeah, he's <laughs> and he and, and and it's a great scene because because the joke is that oh yeah. I can't. I count a smaller fish. You got a bigger one using the, the fishing rods. But also, like, why were you trying to stab fish? This is New York. You know, the joke doesn't really play. Um, and then, then we cut. We cut to the Halloween parade after that, right? Yeah, there's some weird B-roll footage of a Halloween party, which is great because you get to see like this footage of Halloween in New York in, in like 1983, 1984. It's fantastic. Yeah, it was kind of cool. Um, I don't know what it was supposed to be like in the movie because, like, he, like if you take away. If you take away the audio they've added, it's just him and the kid like pointing at stuff. Right. Uh, the audio they added is that he he's looking for like a costume to have. Um, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But then at the parade, the plutonium killer is also there, and then picks up another victim. I want <laughs> by to, hypnotizing <laughs> by hypnotizing them. Um, we need context here <laughs> in the making of a featurette that I watched. The woman you playing did Randy. Your homework. Yeah, the the woman playing Randy Rydell, who by the way is was a reporter, and uh, they got she got a lot of playing reporters in like TV shows and movies, so she just took that too. She comments that this actress was that actor's actual girlfriend that he just brought her on set for the scene, and and the I, next scene, yeah, and the next scene, 
<laughs> well, specifically, she's talking about the next scene. <laughs> and and let me tell I, you, I can't, I can't, before you talk about this next scene, I just want to say that uh, right when about the B-roll footage started playing was right when my wife walked in on the movie. <laughs> which we could now you can continue on with the scene oh so she was here for one of the worst scenes got it <laughs> i'd have no way of confirming that that is that is the case but it's a great thing to keep in mind as we listen to the plutonium killer um the, 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 but the next shot is this weird up close shot that at first you're not quite sure what it is mm-hmm. and then it's boobs and then it starts to pan out a little bit and you realize oh those are huge boobs. <laughs> Curtis did say he made the conscious choice to start that scene with the boob shot. Oh, it was it was such an abrupt cut, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> the moral obligation at that point, because when you've been given a shot that insane, you do have to you do have to like use it in the most like jaw dropping way possible. It's like just like rough cut juxtapose. Right. Like, um, and so, it's the plutonium killer banging her in the car. Right. Um, he's he's got so much radiation that like touching her gives her radiation burns. If you watch like he ran his, his hands on yeah. her back, gave her radiation burn immediately. He's got that Spider-Man uh, death jizz, probably. Uh, if you don't know, there is there is a there is a, a comic run in which Spider-Man gave Mary Jane uh, uh, cancer because of his radioactive jizz. That is the thing that happened <laughs> in one of the many runs of Spider-Man. Um, he kills her. With a um, by choking her with an with like the thinnest necklace possible. You, I, I I've seen a lot of true crime shows. I don't think you could use that as a ligature, but I'm not going to come out and say you can't because that's a weird thing to have an opinion on. But it it did seem like it would break. Yeah, I mean the plutonium hands probably did more damage than the tiny necklace. But oh yeah, she definitely had cancer like instantly. <laughs> there and then uh, the next morning, like one of the gangs tries to like. And he's still in the car with this dead woman who she killed the night before. And he's just yeah. still snoozing away in the back seat with her. In, in repose. But yeah, this gang shows up. Uh, and again, that leads to that whole conflict of who is the bad guy in this movie and what is exactly going on. He takes out his, his cigarette thing and like launches a dart at one of them. And then the other one gets manhandled by his chauffeur, Butler Rat Tail, yes. who was uh, vacant during the night, but is close enough to the car to come beat someone up in the morning. Or was he vacant during the night? One does not question the activities of Rat Tail. Rat Tail was in the front seat the whole time. I guarantee it. Cut to the scene where they just they just dump the dead woman in some trash can. There's like three cops, three mm-hmm. or four cops, just sitting around staring at her, and that's where we get introduced to our our new cast the member, way, the female detective. By the way, he is credited as Rat Tail um, on the IMDb page. So we should officially call him Rat Tail. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the guy with cufflinks is Freddie Cufflinks. Nice. <laughs> I love the way they, they approach this. Yeah, I, I took I took some steam away from you. Where do we segue to? Uh, we're uh, oh, when they found the dead woman in the in the trash can, and we get right. introduced to the female detective, mm-hmm. who is being played by Cynthia Rothrock, and also they got Cynthia Rothrock to come back and voice this character. Oh, really? Yeah, and they were like, uh, she came to record her lines, like, and she's like, okay, what do I say? And they're like, your lines. And she's like, I don't remember what they were. <laughs> she's like, that was 20 years ago. Well, 40 years ago. Jesus. She also said that she doesn't remember ever being handed the script. 
That, that makes sense. And they also did not give her any martial arts training, as we'll see later in the film. Hey, Cynthia, Cynthia Rothrock is in a lot of martial arts movies. Just the degree to which you will say they are good martial arts movies. Uh. Is, uh, you know, she was in China O'Brien. She played China O'Brien. She's in the martial arts kid. She's in a ton of stuff. She's in Honor and Glory. I am fairly certain Honor and Glory is one of the movies that Rift Tracks does. Uh, I think they have a, I think they have a commentary for that one. Lady Dragon, Tiger Claws, Angel of Fury, No Witnesses, Price of the Prince of the Sun, Martial Law, China O'Brien Two, China O'Brien. All right, I think we were just talking about China O'Brien and uh, uh, Deadly uh, Deadly Eyes. I think that director did that too. So yep. he did. Yeah. <laughs> so you were making connections here. We are making connections. Well, we're going to make a lot of connections in these kinds of movies because they all kind of bleed into each other. <laughs> that they do. <laughs> so, but that's it's like the it's like the only person they got to come back and actually voice themselves. And she didn't even know what the hell was going on in the movie. And, and so after this, we cut to the guy that was in the sunglasses in the beginning that was talking to the Plut- Pl- uh, bleh, bleh, plutonium killer. And this is the guy. This is he gets confusing because it doesn't really make sense because now he's trying to get the plutonium killer to get him girls or something it's like it was like the reverse from how the earlier conversation was yeah yeah which <laughs> really threw me off i was like wait what again this goes to the who's really the bad guy here i did the timestamp on this we're actually only we're 54 minutes into the movie right now it's at this point in the movie where we finally find out what john actually does because we don't ever know what it's he's just hanging out with these news crews throughout the whole thing we finally see that he's like a sound engineer for him but none of that came up before i I watched this movie twice and i did not remember he was a sound yeah and that was his that was why he was hanging out with the news crews because he was their sound engineer Mm -hmm. i'm like okay this this kind of oh yeah because we're at the park right uh jack is cameraman again and randy's interviewing the mayor John's being a sound guy. A huge fight scene at the park. Our New York ninja is just sitting there, like watching his friends get kidnapped. Mm-hmm. And instead, his um, his little boy friend. There's a space in the middle of those, by the way. Because I was going to say, I'm please. not accusing anybody. Um, well, or am anyway. His uh, you're, his child. You're friend, leading into it a little. His there. child friend uh, gathers a bunch of other kids in the playground to chase off the bad guys, and apparently some of them just happen to have ninja costumes that they could dress up in in case the situation popped up. I don't know why they had ninja costumes, but well, okay. why does anyone have costumes in this movie? Everyone's got costumes in this movie. Yeah. You know what? I, I remember being a kid in the eighties and I'm pretty sure I wore a ninja costume for no apparent reason, at least once or twice. And John, instead of trying to like help this mob <laughs> of children that are like fighting against these actual thugs, just tells a cameraman to keep on filming. Yeah. The feral children. <laughs> Attack, attack for them. So uh, Rat Tail and the Plutonium Killer are going to chase down Jack uh, in an extremely obvious uh, car tailing situation. Yeah. Um, He gets hit with one of the poison darts. And uh, that was kind of that. And then then Janet, our our cop, was talking about how she's going to go undercover. And then she goes up to get in her car undercover. Uh, The car is unlocked. Windows roll down. And there's a thug in the back seat. (laughs) She works for the police department. You think she would at least roll her windows up. Then you get the guy from Interpol who that was the sunglass guy or the glasses guy from earlier that was with the papers in the limo. Mm -hmm. And apparently this guy is working undercover for Interpol trying to bust a prostitution ring. Yeah. 
Yeah, and th- at this point, he gives us all the exp- all the exposition for the plutonium killer. Right, and then right. he and then tells us that that his only weakness is light, which explains the sunglasses, I guess. Yeah, that was a weird one. Um, but they're doing the best they can with what they got to work with. Yep. Because I feel like that line was there just because the the mirror scene exists later, and they're like, well, "What the fuck do we do with that?" Yeah, how do we explain this? Well, it I guess is weak. This is light. Yeah, that's why he wears sunglasses. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> so John go- goes in. Uh, he's walking down the streets, and he sees the he's he notices uh, a guy with his hand out of the window with the cufflink that he was biting on <laughs> earlier. And he gets like like six inches away from the guy just staring at it. And I love what they did with the dialogue because it's 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 so fitting with the time of the movie. It wasn't like they tried to redo it too much. They were it's it like it sounded like natural dialogue. Like when he's sitting there staring at him, he mm-hmm. says, the fuck are you looking at? And it's like, yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Worked out perfectly. John's response to this is to decide to use Randy his co-worker as bait you got that vibe too yeah okay was what? that intentional or was that because i was like did he just use this girl as bait <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't follow her he just to, says, to, to the degree that it was intentional or to the degree that they just didn't shoot all of the scenes that were supposed to make it not look like that who knows right <laughs> but the overall effect is he uses her as bait to figure out where they're at and then just lets her get abducted not yep. a good look, but no. you know, m- mostly most most of the things that John does in this movie do not give him a good look. <laughs> no, he's not the not the most innocent of heroes. One of the bad guys now is wearing a leather vest, has an eye patch, and a whip. Oh yeah, leather daddy, right? Yeah. So just remember that. Uh, then he goes and like stares at this the ocean, depressed that this happened for some reason. The reason I am bringing this scene up is the detective <laughs> shows up. Wearing a hat like no one has ever worn a hat in the history of the world. He has a trucker cap, but he has punched in. He has punched it in to make it look like like a like a like more of a military cap. Yeah, but it's I a don't trucker know. Cap. It's like if you lift your hat up on your head a little bit, but then push it down in the like middle, a, and it like creates a, a half crease squish. back there. Yeah, it's. I have it's, never it's seen intentional because it's yeah. he's yeah. doing it several times. I've never seen it before in my life. <laughs> Yeah, and this is when a detective in the weird scrunchy hat is talking to John about, uh, I know who you are. So I guess he knows he's the New York ninja at this point. He's like, you know, you could you could help me out. And then John refuses to help him out. But my problem is you want them alive. But I want them dead. Justice. Dun, 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 dun. dun. It's, it's some serious lines. I love it. <laughs> you need it for the cheese. It has to be, you have to play it straight. <laughs> I've got my yeah. notes on the next scene, which is great. Yeah, please give me your notes on the next scene. Cause <laughs> I'm out of notes. Like my notes were on the making of this movie. I don't have notes on the oh, breakdown. God. I went, I, uh, I went, I went way too in depth with this on some of these. Cause, cause every scene I was like, I need to remember that. I need to remember that. So this is, um, so, so like the overall, the overall thing that we want to convey is every scene has something that you will love. Please oh, watch God, this it's, movie. It's, it's fantastic. Please go out and watch this movie. It will reward you. By giving you this experience, just, 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 just let New York Ninja take you on a ride for 90 minutes. You experience it as a dream. Uh, 90, it's 93 minutes. A a fantastic dream. Not like, not not like the last dream. Listen, listen, beyond dream's door is where horror lies. 
So <laughs> we're not even going to talk about that one right now. Where demons wait, oh, Dustin. <laughs> I wish I remembered so, the rhyme. <laughs> well, in Strange Eon, even Death Bay Die, did I do it right? <laughs> it's a poem, a song of death. <laughs> Charlie Cufflinks, or whatever yours called, and uh, his two buddies go to try to meet up with the plutonium killer who they've never actually met in person. Uh, I called him PK, the plutonium killer. Just they- PK sounds, that's what I just call him myself. Oh, you call him, okay. I was um, like the, the movie would have tr- would have transitioned into the '90s if they had done that. <laughs> he pretends that he's the driver, and then he's holding the guns on the guys, like, "Oh, you're never gonna get me because I've got this." And now all of a sudden, the guys are like working with him, and then the ninja shows up and throws a, a a tennis net, volleyball net. I don't know what that was. The the, the action sequence doesn't matter. What matters is at the <laughs> end of it. To, to, he tries. To, he tries to track down the plutonium killer by throwing a grappling hook at the car. <laughs> okay, so I have to talk about two things. I have to talk about what happens, and I have to talk about how they did it. So what happens is he throws a grappling hook at the bumper of this car as it's gr- driving away. So it's dragging him, and he's trying to climb it as it's dragging him. He gets to the bumper, does a back like kicks the the trunk open, does a backflip, and lands in the trunk, and then shuts the trunk on himself, effectively kidnapping his own self. Yes. It's an amazing sequence. Yeah. It's one of the coolest things I've seen in movies. It was, uh, it's, it serves no point from like a perspective of, wow, that was a stupid thing to do. Here's how they made it. He, he got a very small piece of cardboard and then let a car drag him. <laughs> so you can't say that the director of the film and lead actor didn't take risks that he didn't ask people to take risks. He wasn't willing to take. He did not half ass it. He, he might have had half an ass left after the car scene. <laughs> and then it was a reverse shot into the... Yeah, into that, the that that was clearly a reverse shot. But That was a, that was the second reverse shot they did almost in a row. When he jumped up on the pillar was... Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, and then he's like trying to chase them. Apparently the women that were being kidnapped uh, that were in that sex dungeon are now just walking around out. Oh, like d- the, are they walking them for fresh air? Okay, so I... I need to 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 go back and and, and I really need to to, to 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 give you this bit of knowledge, like it, everyone listening. They do not write women as actual human beings in this movie. No, it, it needs to be said. Like like I am I am gushing about how ridiculous this movie is. There are it is not like a good movie. It is a ridiculous movie. It is good because it is over the top, right? Um, in a lot of genre films. Women are not written well in this movie. They're not written as people. Um, they're written as 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 mostly victims, but also victims who don't behave as human beings would. Because in this scene, they are being migrated from like place to place. It, it makes it makes no sense the way they write these women, and it's it's very it's a lot like the thing that's going to prevent you from telling everyone in the world to watch this movie is the human trafficking function of it. Because the attempted assault scenes and the assault scenes are kind are uncomfortable, even though they're not explicit. The overall the overall theme of the movie is progressively more uncomfortable, and the women are not written well at all. So it's like there are people that you're not going to be able to recommend this movie to because of that. Totally understand it. Um, it's the downside of the film. However, holy crap, is it weird to watch? It's just it just makes no sense. It, it's so strange because this operation is just operating in the open as they are they're leading these um, these half-dressed women from point A to point B where everyone can see. And they clearly don't want to go with them. And they're cracking literal whips. 
So like, like there's no reason for Interpol to be involved here. <laughs> they can just go arrest them. It's right. clear what that's, whatever is happening is not above board. It's cl- it, everyone can, they could just go they're arrest not hiding them. anything. They're right yeah. there. So that's my rant. What, so what we have after this, this is, I mean, this movie wasn't on the rails very well before this point, but it really, it really gets off the well, fucking rails. Well, this point. I, I think it's because they didn't finish filming the movie. There's no ending. They had to like <laughs> cobble together an ending. And like, and there a whole bunch of stuff that happens here happens because of like the condition of the film. Like, cause like the next, one of the things that happens next is um, John fights rat tail, right? Yes. I was okay. just getting to that. That was fantastic. Yes. <laughs> okay. The reason that it feels weird is because uh, they mentioned that the footage that exists was shot throughout the entire day. Right. They just shot. They took a spent a whole day shooting this fight scene. When you do that in the open, you now have you <laughs> now have plays tricks. Right. You now have wildly different light sources throughout the entire day, so you no longer have a coherent fight scene. I would be. I'm, I'm okay with the with the lighting. Um, I'm not so okay with the drunken sword style. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about a couple of things there. But like, but like when you the reason it's intercut with the detective rescuing the girls and not sequential scenes, but they're like interspersed is to help break up the fight because of the weird lighting stuff. Curtis does mention uh, about like he like he likes to talk about like nuances that the guy playing playing rat tail he's like he'll like put that he'll like put the rat tail between his teeth and bite it what the hell is that was his exact <laughs> words like, what the hell is that um, it was the weirdest weirdest thing it's it's clearly meant to be some sort of threatening affectation but it is not but the same thing like you said halfway through this fight early in the fight he turns that cane into a sword halfway through this fight he starts using the sword as if he were drunken boxing yeah I had drunken, to look up drunken sword style stuff. Is that real? It, it is, but I, I mean, there's, there's like drunken, like martial arts, but the sword is, a, from what I saw, it was just for like show and just for kind of like demonstration purposes, yeah. not for actual like fighting purposes. Yeah. Cause like I would be an idiot to, to voice it because the only thing that I have seen is Jackie Chan's drunken master movies. Right. I, I have not seen actual drunken boxing, but it did look bad. Very bad. And from the footage that I saw that was good, <laughs> it made this look even worse. Fantastic. Okay. <laughs> oh, and also we forgot to mention that for some bizarre reason, Rat Tail would take his cane that had like a little animal head on the end of it and rub his cheek with it. He was the most bizarre character of the entire movie for me. And that's saying something. Yeah, he was because uh, the whole Plutonium Killer like duo are... I have never said the words less is more in my life, <laughs> but I kind of understand the sentiment finally, because <laughs> I feel like the movie would work without them, but it does not work with them. Now, as a film, it does not work with them as the kind of film that I am primarily interested in. It's perfect. right? Oh, it's perfect. Right. But like if I were making the movie and I wanted it to be legitimately good, the first thing that I would do is cut everything to do with the plutonium killer and the rat tail. I would just make them their own movie. Well, it's completely self-contained away from everything else that is happening until it's not. Right. Cause this is this is where it does get I mean, like I said, that fight it's with the rat tail hell. was very weird. And now he he the ninja New York ninja goes down to where these women are being tied up yeah and they've been they've been rescued at this point by the detective mostly there's like um i think randy is the only one that gets 
No, at this point, there was like six or seven of them down there all tied up. And he, that's when he used his sword to cut them down. Everywhere he swung his sword was like a foot away from their chains. Sure. <laughs> Sometimes he just tapped the chain and it fell apart. Have you seen anime? Yeah. And, and then he goes and rescues our undercover detective who's wearing all this I heart New York Ninja stuff. And then as the ninja goes to leave, he's like, you guys are all free. Go ahead. Not realizing there's a bunch of thugs down there still. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Janet goes and busts out her fighting moves mm-hmm. <laughs> which are the softest weakest punches i've ever seen and then we cut to jack our cameraman who's been gone for a while we hadn't seen him but now he's wearing sunglasses and he's being kind of an asshole to randy and then she takes his sunglasses off and the ninja flashes a mirror into his eyes and which causes his face to melt off mm-hmm. and i love a good face melting scene like i am there for that um, they, the, the, the special effects guys said they wanted it to look like the, the film crew wanted it to look like mission impossible. And they were unsure what they meant by that. <laughs> and they, they worked all night on this face and then they still didn't have it to their liking by the morning, but then they had to shoot anyway. So that is the story that they told. It made no sense at all. Um, because when his face started to melt off, you realize it's the plutonium killer. Yeah, because so, he's got his plutonium killer face underneath. It is strictly, it's strictly like the Mission Impossible mask, but only it's an organic face that melts and bleeds. We're not sure. And then he seems fine being in sunlight after the right. face melts off. Which right. Is- well, and and we're, we're we're rocketing towards the end of the film at this point. <clears throat> What happens next is like he grabs Grandy and he's going to try to take off with her. And he goes into I, what I want to point out is he runs into um, the hangar, the camera angle on him as the tracking shot, the, <laughs> the forward best. facing tracking shot as he runs into the hangar is one of the best shots I've ever seen. It's so weird because he's like all hunched over into the camera as he's running and the camera's <laughs> running back with him. And he's running at like top speed. A phenomenal sequence. And <laughs> I then, might uh, I might just clip that running scene out just to yeah. put it on the, yeah. <laughs> the website. I think I might have to. And this is where we got, uh, there's thugs at the airport already somehow. I guess they just knew the plutonium killer was going there. Mm-hmm. And you've got one of the thugs sitting on top of the helicopter with this weird automatic gun pointed right at the ninja. The ninja pulls out the fan with the little, <laughs> with the arrow tips. And he throws him at this guy that's sitting on top of the helicopter who has this giant scarf around his neck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no way the dart would go through, but it does. And he falls over. <laughs> well, the, the darts are instant kills, right? Like even if people get, 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 dar- get, get like, uh, I'm sorry, the, 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 the throwing stars are instant kills. Even if they get like, like get the shuriken in like their shoulder or their back, they're just, they just instantly fall over pained and dead. Yeah, a quarter inch in your thigh, and you're like, oh, that's it, and he's dead. The main thing that comes away here is there is a sequence where the uh, the where our ninja is hanging from a helicopter. Mm-hmm. This is the money uh, shot. I'm yeah, sure this is where all the yeah, budget yeah, went. Like the, 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 the helicopter is in the air, then just hang off the helicopter. From what we can tell, they really did do that shot, whether it is a stuntman or John himself doing it. They really did just suspend somebody from a helicopter, yeah. fly them out over the bay there. That is wild yeah you could, i mean like i that's where their money went i think for the most of the budget was in this helicopter and then yeah you see him um hanging off of it from his little grappling hook apparently he had an extra one from the one he was dragged from on the car earlier but you know he's a ninja he's got he's got grappling hooks. well he, he, he pulled he pulled he just pulls it out from underneath his ninja ropes it's like hammer space right 
So he's got that. And yeah, he gets up to the top and they all start punching him. Yeah. And they throw him out of the helicopter and you're like, oh no. But then he's still got his grappling hook. Mm-hmm. And then you quietly hear beep, 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 beep. And then the helicopter blows up. Because yep. the ninja had a bomb on him. So <laughs> we didn't get the bomb. <laughs> well, about that. They didn't have an ending for this movie. They didn't know how to end it. And so the bomb was something they came up with. They took that explosion from a different film. All right. It worked. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, from, as... <laughs> I think it's the executioner two or something to that effect. I don't remember the, the other film they took it from, but they took that explosion from another movie and just threw it in here. Oh, it, was, it was beautiful. And then, yeah, that was kind of the end of the movie. There was a weird, uh, weird kind of follow-up scene where the, the ninja was climbing down off a tower and all the cops wanted to arrest him, including the undercover cop he just freed, as well as the detective that he'd been working with. And there's like six guys just pointing guns at him. Six cops just pointing guns, tell him to get down. So he gets down and then these kids, all the little ninja kids show up wearing their We Love New York Ninja shirts. And then our ninja just sneaks away and the cops are like, oh, silly ninja. And then they just let him go and walk away. And <laughs> Phil. You guys just had six guns pointed at him, ready to shoot him down off a tower. I don't know. He slips away and you're like, eh, oh well. And then it ends with a splash footage and it says, what is it, coming soon, Mm -hmm. L.A. Ninja. Yeah, no, that that was just great. (laughs) I'm like, oh God, I wish that was actually true. But I know it's just their Mm -hmm. nod to all these movies that like promised a sequel and then it never happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, that that was that was New York Ninja from top to bottom, pretty much. Um, I loved it. It was fan. It's fan. It's a great, great watch. I mean, I I'm gonna watch this one a lot. I watched it twice this week. Uh, one time with with just commentary. I will end up watching it probably a third time very very soon. <laughs> I uh, I love this movie. It's fantastic. Everyone should watch New York Ninja. Oh, with with obviously with the caveat that if the subject matter does make you uncomfortable. You know, give it a good pass, but it's it's the kind of movie that you just love to see. It's got a ninja on roller skates. I'm telling you, that's all you need to do to sell this movie. Ninja on roller skates. I will at the end of this episode. I will play uh, some of the songs that were played during the credits. Uh, but I do have to ask you: uh, was that was that rap song invented just for like? Was that something that the Vinegar Syndrome guys did, or did they talk about that at all? Or was that done by the Voyage 3 or whatever they were called? Because it's a great song. New York Ninja, Bronx Style Bob? Yeah, that's probably it. That did not come up. All right, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll check that out. Might have to look out. into that because, yeah, I, I'll, I'll play it at the end. It is a, it is a great, great song. Oh, oh wait. my God. There was, yeah, there was a, that was the guy singing it was Bronx Style Bob, and he had a song in 1985 called New York Ninja. So I'm wondering if they just got that song and then got the rights to it and just threw it in the credits because that works so you know we'll just leave you with a couple things to think about in this one like there's not really a lot to go off in terms of like like you can't talk about this from an artistic standpoint of like themes because it's not that kind of movie right and you can't and and we've talked about most of the making of throughout but i'll give a couple extra th- context on john Liu, or at least what happened after this like so like, john Liu was never like the most popular, but he did, he did have some success. Um, then he kind of signed up with uh, 21st century uh, distributors. They wanted to make an original film. 
which which was on his little uh, iHeart New York Ninja tag at the very end of the movie. Yes, I noticed that. This is a weird plug. Clearly, clearly, those were like <laughs> were like going to be promotional items or something at some point. But they 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 signed up at a weird time in which the head of the studio, who was the guy mostly on board with this, was leaving. So they left a lot of the funding out the door. He was directing this movie himself. Uh, the, he had this is the third movie that he had directed. The others had bombed. The other ones that he had directed had bombed. Um, this cow kind of fell apart underneath them and then it just it just ended and this was never released and he, he didn't finish this film and he never acted again. The story Vinegar Syndrome tells is that they were able to track him down. He's living, um, as far as they can tell, just off the grid in Vietnam. And huh. uh, they asked him, you know, for help with this and he just came to the back with kind of a blessing that was like, yeah, good luck. <laughs> So that is that is that is where John Lou stands on this film. I don't know that he'll uh, ever see this, or if he would, what he would want, or what he would take away from it. I think ultimately the movie we got is better than the one we would have if they had finished it. Yeah, probably. Mostly because this movie was made with a specific audience in mind. It it played it so well because it was never too funny, but it was hilarious. It was masterfully done for what this was. Yeah, I, I just I think that in the end it would like if, if this had been released in 1984 it would have like faded into the background noise and people would not watch this movie the way that it that, that it came about being finished and then the the hype you were able to generate from that and the way you were able to release it means that this movie is going to have a following that it would not have otherwise which is interesting hmm. yeah I agree uh, anyway um, that's it for, that's all I've got to say uh, I don't know if you have anything else to add before we we, we, we play our final roundup games, and then I have to go buy the soundtrack and the VHS and the T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I just I, I kind of hope this team gets involved in doing more of these kind of movies, finding these old, you know, yeah. unfinished films and just really, really mm-hmm. just working them for everything they can. It was it was a great job, and I, I like I said, I I laughed throughout this entire movie, and it was not really played like a comedy, but it was mm-hmm. just done perfectly. So uh, I do have I do have a question though. I know you really really liked it, but mm-hmm. in a way, I brought you here to offer you a job. You think you can do it better, so here's your chance. If you had to change three things and only three things that you think could make this a better film, what would they be? God, that is the hardest. This is might be the hardest one. Normally, there's too many <laughs> things I want to change. In this, I'm like nothing. It was amazing. Um, I know. Uh, I would, if I was going to make some clarifications to this movie, it would be to, um, separate the gangs, like <laughs> maybe have a little bit better separation so you can identify which gang members are, which, which thing. And instead of just a whole menage of people, you don't know who's against who. A clearly defined hierarchy of baddies. Yeah, that'd be, that would be really nice. Um, I would say maybe a bit less of the plutonium killer and a bit more of the rat tail guy. <laughs> of course you want the guy with the friggin' Padawan braid. I just want to see him hold that stupid braid in his teeth and try to sword fight again. It was, <laughs> you know, that. if I don't have to see a radioactive orgasm again, I'm fine. <laughs> and I think I would say, uh, that counts as one thing more of him, less of the other. The third thing I would say, 
uh, more roller skates. I want I want bad guys on roller skates. I want <laughs> rat tail on roller skates. I want everyone on roller skates. You just want Starlight <laughs> Express the Ninja Movie experience. Yes, Vinegar Syndrome. If you're listening, <laughs> make it happen. But yeah, I, I, uh, it was the movie was great fun from top to bottom. I just, I had a blast with it. Uh, well, that wraps it up for this episode of Found on Shelf. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe uh, on whatever platform you manage to find us on, or what, on your podcatcher of choice, and check us out at foundonshelfpod.com. All one word, foundonshelfpod.com. Or for all your social media needs, we are Found on Shelf Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd, and gmail if you want to add us with some movie suggestions or what you think of the show let us know what you think and uh sure to check us out in uh, the future you got any final words for us today dustin not one bit um i just don't want this to end Why? Why? all right we will catch all <laughs> you lovely people next time all righty on Channel. Take a look at the the trials, tribulations, flights, and the pains. The city of fear, capital of despair. Well, people are afraid just to ride the trains. But there is a man who came across the land, trained in Japan, came from the east to the west, just to live his life. Until they took the man's wife, then he chose to use the art form. He was the best. He is a ninja. I love that song. Hey, do you know what this movie and Behind Dream Store have in common? Oh, what? Troma passed on this one, too. <laughs> 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 <laughs>